Well, an appropriate uh, introduction to our text today. We're in Exodus 20, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, please. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, This is the sixth message in our series. We've called it the wilderness where God shapes his people. You all know this. We are tracing the nation of Israel as God brings them out of Egypt and takes them to the promised land. There's this space in between those two events that is the wilderness. And uh, all the... All that Israel encounters in the wilderness, wilderness things, scarcity, lack of food, water, being attacked by enemies without and within, all are things that God uses to shape them more and more into who they already are. They are God's people. And I I, I said earlier, it's true for us as well that God uses the circumstances of the wilderness in your life and in mine to shape us more and more into who we already are, those who have put their trust in Christ. We're God's people. Um, You know, and and the wilderness, of course, is it's life on the planet, but it's, there's some specificity to wilderness. We hit seasons of life when difficult things happen, hard things happen happen. And uh, you all, you know, a week won't go by that you don't have those things in your life or the lives of those you love. I want to take a moment this morning and pray for uh, Amy Bratcher. Many of you know, uh, Carrie and Amy, their kids, but Amy uh, got a diagnosis of breast cancer last Thursday. Um, it's early. It's, she said it's stage one. It's, um, you know, they're, they're putting the team together to address that. But uh, it, it came to me, you know, in a text and I, I want to bring it to our body and online. And I want to invite you to join me because I want to, for us, uh, even in this moment, but beyond to pray for that wilderness that, uh, they will be, they are walking in even now. Father, we do at the beginning of this message, we think of the wilderness. We're mindful of carrying Amy and the kids and the challenges that are facing them now. I'm grateful that even as she said to me, God has been preparing me for this, even in our wilderness series. May your spirit uphold and keep and guard her heart. May the team she assembles be the right team of doctors and nurses and clinicians. The regimen that's prescribed and all that is done to uh, eliminate this cancer, give, give that team great, great wisdom. Lord, we pray you'd heal her. And we pray in this process that you would shape Christ in her, in their family and in us as we walk with them through these days. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. I know she'll appreciate you all praying with her along those lines. So the wilderness is that place where God shapes us Last week, Rob was in Exodus 17. If you missed it, please go back and watch it. Um, It's the first time Israel goes to war. They're fighting the Amalekites. And you remember when Rob walked us through that passage that the the camera lens was not on the battle. It's not like the camera was down here watching Joshua swing the swords and throw the spears. The focus was actually up on the mountaintop. Key, where the real battle was. Where the real battle was Aaron and and her holding up Moses' hands, which was holding the staff of God, such that 
in holding those arms up, it was a demonstration. God, we're depending on you versus Moses' arms going down. We're gonna fight in our own strength. And that is a fundamental key, is it not, to walking in the wilderness of this life. So they've gone from fighting the Amalekites. They've traveled probably a few weeks south in the Sinai wilderness, and they are now at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.2 says this, they camped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Y'all, they're gonna stay there for a year. That, That in itself tells us there's some serious stuff happening that God keeps them here for a year. Probably the most remembered event, and this may be the most remembered event of the whole journey, is the giving of the 10 commandments. And may I say this, it is also probably the most misunderstood event in the journey. And to misapply the law is catastrophic. Here's what I mean, it's catastrophic. When you misunderstand the purpose of the law, though you are delivered from Egypt, though you're a free people, you will live in bondage. Your life for you will be making more bricks with less straw. Properly understand the law. And though the world and wilderness seem to crush and hem you in, you will live with a freedom of heart and a flourishing of life that God intends. What I'm saying is to to misunderstand the law is to miss God's purposes and plans. What's at stake, honestly, no exaggeration, is life and death. (laughs) Whether we truly understand the law and why it's given and how it applies to them and to us. Now I'm gonna take the passage a little differently. It's all of chapter 20. I'm not gonna cover all of chapter 20. We just read the 10 commandments. Rather than go through the 10 commandments, I'm gonna step us, you know, pull us back. We're gonna go up at 30,000 feet. And from 30,000 feet, we're gonna look down on redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation and go, okay, where did God come to give the law? And why did God give the law at that time? And so, so from this viewpoint, we're gonna go, okay, this we can't understand the law apart from being up here and looking down and looking at the whole. Does that make sense? And so that's what I'm gonna attempt to do for us this morning, just to almost get this out of the way because I know there's a part of us that goes, gosh, I wanna know what those, you know, I've never understood what it meant to do this or, you know, to honor your mom and dad. What does that mean? What does it mean to take the Lord's name? Just to show you, that's not the problem, okay? I'm gonna do a little exercise with you. And you need to put your your Bibles down because you're gonna need to move for a moment. So put your Bibles down. Those of you at, uh, you know, at home, meeting in your group, whatever, put your Bibles down. And I want everyone to stand up, everyone in the room to stand up. So online, uh, I know, you know some of you lounging in the couch, I'm sure, uh, get out of the couch and stand up. So everyone at, at, at this service, at fellowship right now is standing, kids and all. And here's what I, I, I want to do. I'm, I'm, gonna take just, I'm gonna take one law, okay? You shall not steal. Um, you know, it's just, it's not complicated. It, you know, what does it mean in the Hebrew? It means don't steal. It's just don't take what's not yours ever, ever. 
So with that said, if you've ever broken the eighth commandment, I want you to sit down. If you don't think you have, you can stay standing. But if you feel like you've ever taken something that wasn't yours. Now, now some people are looking around going, I better not keep standing. I'm in (laughs) Natalie. No, because you got to go here. It's, It's like, well, I don't think I've ever stolen anything. Well, have you ever taken your employer's time? It wasn't yours to do that little website jaunt. You took, see, you can't get away. Just in case anyone's standing, okay? In case anyone's standing online, because I can tell you online, nobody's standing in the room. Um, I'll, take this, I'll take one more. Don't lie. <laughs> Ever. Don't tell a half truth. Don't exaggerate. Ever. Okay, so now if anyone online's still standing, if you've, if you've ever broken that, you need to sit down. And, and if anyone on the planet's standing, we know they're lying and they're breaking the ninth commandment anyway. Because you can't say you've never lied, right? And, and you know, it, it's a silly example, but it's just to make this point, um, keeping the commandments and knowing what they mean, that's, that's not the issue. the issue. What we can know definitively is we've broken one. Well, here's what James says. If you break one, you've broken all 10. So, so let's let that weigh upon us for a moment. We have all broken the whole law. And that's what the Bible tells us. Now, let's set that there for a moment and let's rise up to 30,000 feet and see if we can't get a better understanding why the law and what is its purpose. Now, I am gonna draw a diagram. It's gonna be ugly, but you're gonna be able to read it. Um, I said several weeks back, Rob may have said it as well. When we think about this journey from bondage to wilderness to promised land of Israel, that is a picture, not just of their deliverance, their redemption, it's a picture of ours. That's the template that God gives us. And so I, I want to... I wanna show you this, that if we, if we look at the three categories of this, we see our own redemption, but I want you to see this uh, graphically. So if we just said Israel's redemption, and we looked at the parts of Israel's redemption, we'd note that they were in Egypt, then they were in the wilderness, And then they will be in the promised land. We would say this, in Egypt, they were in, oops, they were in bondage. In the wilderness, they are free. Uh Uh-oh, I just lost my whole thing, Joe. I'm not even gonna try and, I'm not even gonna try and rewrite that. In, in the wilderness, they were in bondage. In, the, in, the, in Egypt, they were in bondage. In the wilderness, they are free. In the promised land, they, it will be the fulfillment of all that God has for them. You think about those categories as they move through. And you see, when they were brought into the wilderness and delivered 
from bondage, then God gave them the 10 commandments. Is everybody with me on this? So if we, if we wanna understand God's purpose in these commandments, we've gotta understand what, what's a little part of the text that we often overlook. It's called the preamble. What do you mean the preamble? Well, God had promised Abraham, you are gonna be a nation and you are gonna have a land and you're gonna be a blessing to all people. They are 2.4 million former slaves wandering in the wilderness. God is now formally forming them as a nation. Every nation requires a constitution. It's not like this, this is the, uh, you know, when you look at ancient history and they look at in, in these days, how nations formed, those nations had constitutions. And so what God is doing here in the giving of the law, he's given the nation a constitution. This is how you will run the company, you know, run the nation. And he gives them these laws and these commands. And there's a preamble to all ancient constitutions, if you will, including the 10 commandments. Look in your Bibles at Exodus chapter 20, look at verses one and two. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now that's just absolutely loaded the preamble. He says, I am. Now this is a statement. This is God's name, Yahweh. This is the name God told Moses. When you go to Pharaoh and when you go to the Israelites and say, I'm, uh, God has sent me, they're going, what God, what God? We don't know his name. And you're gonna say, Yahweh. The God who is, <laughs> no beginning, no end. The God who is and always has been and always will be the self-existent, self-sufficient God. He says, I am your God. Now he uses a different word when he says God, it's Elohim, which we know as we look through the Old Testament, we see how they use Elohim. It's the, he's the Lord, he's the sovereign one, the ruler, the creator of all things. I am the Lord, your God. Now you see, God has already declared, you are my people. They're, 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 he, he's redeemed them and they're his. He goes on to say, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God delivered them from bondage and death. Now here is the million dollar question. Did they have to keep the 10 commandments in order to be delivered from bondage? It's not a trick question, just tell me. Did they? You, ever, you, know, you know how people always say, well, you gotta keep the 10 commandments to, you know, to go to heaven. You gotta keep, you know, there's a measure of truth in that, but let's look at what God says. They didn't, God didn't say, when you guys have kept all these rules fully, I'll get you out of slavery. No, God in his mercy and grace redeemed them and then he gives them the 10 commandments. I wanna lay over this, this chart, so to speak, of 
the wilderness journey, our own salvation. Let's just put on top our salvation. Well, we were in bondage to sin. Slaves to sin. We were in death. Put our trust in Christ and we are now redeemed people. Delivered from bondage to sin and death. And our future is the promised land, the total fulfillment of all that God has promised. At this time in life, we live between our deliverance and our consummation in our presence with God forever is is the wilderness. So if, if they didn't have to keep the law for God to deliver them, do we have to keep the law for God to deliver us? What's the answer? If, if, if I just said this is the same track, this is the template, the theological answer is no. And I wanna show you why. When we come to the New Testament, Paul says this, and by the way, Rob and I couldn't cover this in a month. So I'm not going to all the purposes of the law. I'm going to the fundamental purpose of the law and the others are built upon it, so to speak. Paul says this in the book of Galatians. He says, Galatians 3.19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, the word there is until the seed should come to whom the promise has been made. Let me translate this. The the Greek literally says this, means this. It says it was added because of transgressions. It was added for the sake of defining transgressions. Okay, Lloyd, still not totally clear. Imagine you are out way past Leaper's Fork in the country driving around and uh, you're just enjoying a beautiful day and you're cruising those roads and and you're going 55, 60 miles an hour and just enjoying the ride. And you're in the middle of nowhere and a sign, you come up to, you pass a sign and the sign says 35 miles an hour. Well, what the sign has done, (laughs) the sign has said to you, you're a lawbreaker. That's what the sign is saying. Now, before you saw the sign, please understand, you were a law, you've been breaking the law for the last 10 minutes, driving 55, 60 miles an hour. You've been, you've been a lawbreaker, but you didn't really know it until you saw the sign and went, I'm a lawbreaker. Y'all, that's the, that's the fundamental purpose of the law is to show us our sin. God's, you know, the, the, the moral law, the 10, the 10 commandments, and there's more, there's 613 of these things, but it shows us our sin. Martin Luther comments brilliantly, I think on this, I'll, I'll unpack it a little bit. He says, the principal point therefore of the law in true Christian theology is to make people, here's the key, it's not to make people better, but worse. That is to say, it shows them their sin so that they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, 
broken, and by this means may be driven to seek comfort and so come to that blessed seed. He's referring to what Paul said in Galatians. The law was given to define transgressions until the seed comes. Luther's pointing us to that seed. Now, we know what, who is the seed that was promised? Nay, say it. It's Jesus. So let's speak. It's Jesus. So, okay, Lloyd, I'm, I'm still a little fuzzy. Let me see if I can clarify it further. In showing us our sin, the law becomes, in Paul's words, our, our school teacher, our tutor. In other words, the law is teaching us something. And here's what the law is teaching us. It's teaching us that these are God's standards and this is where we, we are <laughs> on our best behavior. We can't meet God's standards. That's what the law is teaching us. Let, let me go a little further. What the law is intended to teach us is we can't keep God's standards. That's what the law is teaching us. And so you go, well, Lord, are you saying God gave Israel something they couldn't do? Yes, absolutely. Why would he, why would he give them a law they can't do? to bring them to the place where rather than trying to keep the law in self-effort, they would cast themselves on the mercy of God who would do for them what they could never do. Grace is free. But what is free must be wanted What do you mean? What, what you, it's free, but you must want it. And our fallen hearts will never want grace. In our fallenness, our hearts will always revert to self-effort, self-righteousness. I can do it. I'm gonna do it. And the law comes along and says, right? The law just crushes us. It is the sweetest crushing. Because when the law has done its work as our school teacher, we are left totally depleted of self-effort and we open ourselves to the grace and mercy of God. God, unless you do it, I never can. I can never meet the standard. I need you, God, to do what I could never do. I need a perfect law keeper because I'm never gonna be it. Which, of course, is the seed that was promised. So, if I could state the lesson of the law, and again, this is a 
this is simple. It's not simplistic per se, but it's a hope simple and clear. The law is given not to deliver us from bondage. Remember, this is why I wanted to draw the chart or this is why I'm helping you visually see that the law was not given so that, oh, here's the law, keep it. And now you're out of bondage. That's not, that's not it. No, no, no. God in his mercy and grace brought them out of bondage. God in his mercy and grace brings you and I out of our bondage. The law is not given to deliver us from bondage, but to show us we could never deliver ourselves. I'll say it another way. God gave the law in order to crush out of us any notions that we could achieve a righteousness by our own self-efforts. Can't. Or said yet a third way, God gave the law to show us our need for Jesus. It's until we come to that place where we go, I can't, we'll keep trying. Boy, when the Holy Spirit takes the law of God and convicts us of our sin and goes even further to show us I cannot meet God's standard. See, then we go, God, will you meet the standard for me? And this is the good news of the gospel itself. I want you to close your notes, close your Bibles for a moment because we're gonna visualize this. Uh, Rob and I are huge fans and you'll hear us say it over and over of a, a group of a team that puts together some Bible teaching and whatnot. It's called the Bible Project. I hope you would just wear that website out. If if you spent a month on there, you would be a better theologian than I am for sure. It's so clear and simple. Their, their resources are fantastic, and 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 I want to show you, you know, what I've just taught, you know, in you know twenty twenty five minutes, and uh, you're going to watch a five and a half minute video that says everything I've tried to say, that shows us the law within its context. And in fact, helps us understand that when we truly understand the law, we see the law compels us in our mission as a church. What's our mission? Of course, to glorify God and make disciples. How do we do that? We do that by helping people find wholehearted life in Christ. The issue's always the heart We got a heart problem and it's the law that shows us how deep our problem is and that it's not, you know, I lied today, you know, but I won't tomorrow. No, it's that the the behavior is not the main issue. It's the heart that is fallen. And this is the lesson of the law I want you to see. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. 
So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. 
But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others, and he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy, and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. We live in a world, and, and you will run into people this week who are striving to do the right thing, who are striving. And the text tells us only in Jesus, no self-effort, there's no self-righteousness. It's only in Christ. And so may we carry that good news beyond these walls to every person we interact with this week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord keep your shoes from wearing out as he did theirs as a reminder that in your wilderness, in cloud and fire, he is with you. God bless. You are dismissed.